Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to Hebrews chapter number 9. take a moment and thank you Grove Park for what you have done this past week uh, this past week was not an easy week in the life of our church and in the lives of many of our members but you have faithfully prayed and supported and stood alongside a family that has been grieving and I thank you for that and I'd ask that you would continue to pray for them and for others in our community who are dealing with unexpected losses, particularly as we make the turn now toward the holiday season. Hebrews chapter number 9. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks. Give you thanks for your word, Lord. Your word that teaches, your word that instructs, your word that confronts, your word that consoles, your word that encourages, your word that calls us to come closer, ever closer to you. So Lord, today as we look to this passage in Hebrews, we pray, Lord, that you would extend to us grace upon grace to hear your word and to be changed by it, that we could rest in you and in all that you have done to make our lives whole. Father, bless me with the words that are needed for those gathered to hear from you today as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we discussed how for most of us, the function and work of a priest is a foreign concept. And we delved into the various implications for our lives of Jesus holding the office of high priest in his ministry. Today, we return to the subject of Jesus as high priest as we look to the high priest's duties 
of offering sacrifices. The writer of Hebrews has used chapter 9's preceding verses to remind the hearers about how the temple complex was laid out in Jerusalem and about the Holy of Holies found there within the center where once a year the high priest and the high priest alone entered in to offer sacrifice for the unintentional sins of the people. The conclusion of verse number 9 instructs us though that these sacrifices were not enough. He writes, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. What is a person supposed to do to gain a close, vital, personal relationship with God if the only means by which they can achieve that, a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, proves inadequate to the task? Thankfully, the writer does not leave us hanging precipitously but quickly shares that God bridges the great divide that separates us from Him. Look with me at verse number 11. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of, Jesus, uh, blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. Jesus then, the scripture tells us, comes to us not simply to be our friend or to simply be our savior or high priest, but to also be the sacrifice that enables each of us to have the close, vital, personal relationship with God that we would like. Today, the church around the world marks 504 years since the hammer blows echoed from the Wittenberg church and Martin Luther declared that we are saved through faith in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus and that we do not have to work and strive to build the bridge that will cross the divide between us and God. The fruitlessness of our constant striving, I fear, so often leaves us weak and empty when we should be constantly finding rest as we ride the crest of the tsunami that is grace. Yes, Bonhoeffer was correct. He said when Christ calls a person, he calls 
them to come and die. But I believe it's more than that. When Christ calls an individual, he calls them to rest. Come unto me, all you who are heavy and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus said. And we find that rest living in and applying the sacrifice that Christ offered. How then can we rest in that sacrifice? Because I fear today that far too many sons and daughters of God fail to find full rest in Jesus. First, you and I must rest in the security of the sacrifice. Notice again verses 11 and 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. You know, one of the things that I believe causes our spiritual disquietedness is the continuous wondering that so many of us have about whether we have done enough. Have we done enough to make God happy? Have we done enough to warrant salvation? Have our spiritual deficiencies left us floating out in a never-never land awaiting the hammer of God to fall on our lives. Beloved, hear me this morning. God does not desire that you should live in the precarious position of a maple leaf right now exposed to a cold front coming through here in early November. He wants you to know that you can rest in the absolute, complete, and total security that once you have received Jesus as your Savior and you know that within the very core and the very marrow of your being, all doubt about whether you have done enough must flee. Because then you know that He has done it for you. And as you know that He has done it for you, you realize that you will never Never, never be separated from the love of God. Let us be clear. If we think that something can come between us and God at the point we have reached after salvation, then really and truly there was never any power to Christ's sacrifice. The security of Christ's sacrifice is not weak, beloved. It is omnipotent. It's so powerful that it enables us to do a few things. It allows us to understand that with security comes freedom. You and I have the power to engage with God and His Scriptures and to question things to ask Him the tough questions and to seek out 
new perspectives in Scripture without believing that God is going to somehow or another say, well, you got it wrong, and so I'm going to zap you. No. No, God's grace pours in. Beloved, I really and truly believe today that we are so insecure in our salvation that we don't take the Scriptures and we don't delve into them and really ask ourselves, what do they mean? What does it mean to be in relationship with God? What, who is God in all of His fullness? I cannot escape the fact that this is October the 31st. And that Martin Luther went against all of the, of the current teachings at that time of the Catholic Church to ask himself the question, am I saved through faith? Because he had read it in Romans that we are. And he couldn't figure out why he was having to do all these works, why he was having to pay all these um, uh, indulgences. When Christ saved us through His grace. Beloved, we are weak today because we have not experienced the security and freedom to engage deeply with God. Because God can never separate us. God can, God can never sever the relationship simply because you and I may have reasoning and understanding that fails. He is always there to undergird. And because of that, you and I can be secure as we walk in faith. You and I have many unknowns in this world. Many unknowns. We don't understand what's going on. At least I don't understand what's going on in the world right now. I can't understand what it's like to live in a pandemic, let alone be a Christian in a pandemic, let alone be a pastor in a pandemic. And I am left with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of unknowns. But hear me, beloved, because of the security that is found in Christ's sacrifice, we are eternally bound to a known God. And because of that, we can walk in faith. We can walk in faith knowing that He is with us each and every step along the way that He will neither leave us nor forsake us. Because He is all compassion and all grace and all love and all mercy, we know that if we stumble, He's going to be right there to grab us so that we won't even fall. But He'll just bring us up and put us on a little bit more firmer ground. We don't have to languish in unknowns, but we can rest secure in Him. And because of that, we can ultimately face the end of life. We can face the final thing that is coming down the road for us. Because for each and every one of us, beloved, Apart from the imminent return of Jesus, there is a grim specter at the end of our road that is awaiting us. And we do not need to fear that specter, but we can look death in the face and we can laugh and say, because I know Jesus, I can rest in the fact that this is not the end, it is only a beginning. And that one day, all those that I have already laid to rest, I will see once more. Because they trusted in Jesus. Beloved, there is a lot of security 
that we leave untapped by refusing to trust fully the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, I mentioned that Christ's sacrifice was not weak but was powerful. And because it is omnipotent, you and I would do well to rest in the sufficiency of that sacrifice. Look again to verse number 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God? The sacrifice, beloved, understand, is sufficient because, first off, it covers all sins. The text here lists not only the sacrifice that is found on the Day of the Atonement, but also the red heifer sacrifice that allowed the Jewish believer to be ceremonial clean. Hear me, Christ's sacrifice, once it is applied in our lives, is a once-for-all sin sacrifice. You can sit in your mind and you can think back to that thing that you don't want anybody to know about. And you say, God cannot forgive that. And beloved, hear me. If you are thinking that today, you are believing a lie sent straight from hell. Because the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient to wash away all sin. When he said It is finished on the cross. Understand that that means that his work is done, yes, but it also means that the power of sin in our lives to hem us in and to control us and to limit us in what we can do is forever declared dead. And so some of us today need to have a funeral. We need to go out maybe in our backyard and dig a hole and write that sin on it and put it in the ground and put dirt on it and say, here it is. It's dead and buried and I'm going to go on living because Christ lives in me. He is sufficient today, beloved. But, but he's not only sufficient because sin is forever declared dead. He, it, it, the sacrifice is sufficient because it's perfect. The text says here that Christ was offered without blemish. Hear me. Because of that, if the blood of Jesus does not hold you eternally secure, if somehow you had the power to sin in such a way that it would wipe away the sacrifice of Christ's life, you would then be more powerful than the blood of Jesus. But the blood of Jesus is all-powerful. The sacrifice was without blemish, and we know that the Scripture cannot lead us astray. And that means that all is forgiven. Beloved, We sing, or at least Nancy plays most of the time when we have communion, that great Andre Crouch song, The Blood Will Never Lose Its Power. We will sing, There is Power in the Blood. 
But today, if you can't rest in the sufficiency of that power to keep you and hold you and declare sin forever gone in your life, you're saying you're more powerful than that. And that is not the case. The shed blood of Jesus is sufficient for all things. All sins. Now I should interject here. Because somebody might be thinking, well good, that means I can go out and sin with reckless abandon this afternoon. I'm going to go out and get my sin on today. As the Dixie Chicks sang, I'm going to go jump on the sin wagon. That is not the case. Notice again verse number 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We are not permitted to sin by the sacrifice but we are or should be pushed into service because of the sacrifice. We are to serve the living God. Far too often, beloved, I believe we have romanticized the work of Jesus such that his life and actions have become all about us when really it is all about God. It all starts and stops in God's love reaching out to us so that we could be enabled to serve Him. The text is clear. The blood of Jesus is applied to the life of, believe, of the believer not simply to save them from eternal damnation but to purify them so that they can serve God. Not some ritual cleansing of the outside but a complete purification of the inside, that they could be free to serve Him. Now we've, we've talked about that the, the sacrifice is sufficient for sin just now, but you know what I hear so often from folks is they tell me that they can't serve God because of something that they have done in their past. And they'll say, or maybe they'll say, every time I go to do something, there's this little whisper in my head that tells me that I'm not good enough and it reminds me of all the sin that I have done. Beloved, understand. We are called to freedom. Luther said, when talking about this verse, that this verse tells us that forever God has saved us from our past, from our present, and from our future. That we can always go to serve. Because all we have to do is speak back to that little voice that's in the back of our head and said, No, the blood of Jesus is sufficient. The blood of Jesus is sufficient. I hear a lot of people today in a lot of ways that are so incredibly, <laughs> incredibly theologically off, say, plead the blood of Jesus. And, in, and they, they say that so that it enables them to do whatever they want to do. Beloved, when you plead the blood of Jesus, it is saying that you are asking for the power to go and serve God. Not to allow yourself to do whatever you want to, but to push yourself out front and say, God, here am I, use me. That's what Isaiah did in the Holy of Holies 
Oh, Lord, I'm unclean. And God said, go. Beloved, are we saying go today? Because understand something. When this word serve is used here, to serve the living God, the word for serve here in the text is not just uh, something that, that is going to be done to us uh, here in a few minutes when we go to lunch. It's not the same word for serve or there. It's not even how uh, the military is in service for the country. The word serve here is used throughout Scripture to talk about how a priest is to function. In other words, we are to go and serve as priests. It is a core of who we are as Baptists that we believe in the priesthood of the believer that all of us can go out and to serve. It's not left to one person or to one group of individuals who maybe have been ordained, but that all of us are called to go and to serve as priests in the kingdom of God. And so this morning, I have to ask you, are you serving as a priest for God? Are you continually bringing up to God the sin of the people? That's what the priest did. Are you doing that? You say, I can't pray for someone else to give forgiveness. No, beloved, you sure can't. But let me tell you what you can do. You can pray about some sinner that needs to know Jesus. You can wear out the throne of God by letting his name or her name be known continuously for salvation. And you can follow that up by saying, hey, do you know Jesus? You can be continuously working in and through their life so that they know Jesus. You can be serving as a priest in that regard. You can be serving as a priest because one of the other things that the priest did was to declare free those who were struck with various things of uncleanness like leprosy. Beloved, there's a host of people in this world who are bound up by all sorts of things. They are bound up by addictions. They are bound up by racism. They are bound up by prejudice. They are bound up and we need to go free them. We need to go declare the kingdom of God to them that they could experience the freedom of living within the kingdom. But how often are you and I doing that? How often is it that you and I are running out into the world and saying that there is such a thing as the tsunami of grace? Beloved, each week we pull a picture for the front of the bulletin to fit in with the sermon. I want you to look at the picture on the front of the bulletin today. The waves are about to crush in and the guy standing there with an umbrella. That's a great picture of most of us today. Instead of allowing the tsunami of grace to wash over us fully that we could understand that Christ's sacrifice leaves us secure and sufficient and enables us to serve, we stand under the umbrella so we can keep dry so that we don't have to do anything. 
Beloved, you need to throw away your umbrella today. You need to throw away your umbrella. Liza and I were out Friday night, and it started to rain. And we're walking across the parking lot, and it picks up in the rain. And Liza says, we're going to get wet. And I looked at her, and she knew what I was about to say. She knew exactly what I was about to say. I said, darling, it is a tenet of our religion that we get wet. It is. You can't be a good Baptist, beloved, if you hadn't got wet. We might need to remember that today. We might need to remember to get wet again. Because as we get wet in the grace and mercy and sufficiency of God, as we plunge ourselves, as the hymn writer said, into that fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, we know that we can go and are sufficient to the task that God is calling us to, to go into a world that is dying and going to hell, and we can say, you can be saved through faith in the grace of Jesus Christ. as long as we stand around with our umbrellas, we're never, never, never going to get to where we need to go. But on the cross of Calvary, it has already been declared, go. So will you accept today the power of the sacrifice and go get wet for Jesus. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Gracious God, you gave us your best, and we declare it insufficient far too often. We declared insufficient to save us. We declared insufficient to enable us to work. We declared insufficient to rest in you. And so I pray today, Lord, that, that we would understand the power of the sacrifice even deeper. And that, Lord, where those areas in our life right now that it is, it is not failed, it is not understood, where, Lord, we are not free, that, Lord, you would release us today through your spirit, to accept it and to live and move as the Christians that you have called us to be, that we may better model Jesus for a lost and dying world. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound.